I love to sit and look through those holy pages And read about the eternal rock of ages See all that God has done, the battles he has won The great prophecies unfold In every book from Genesis to Revelation I see his loving grace and this great salvation Brings courage to my soul, for I know he's in control. I believe every word is true. Yes, I believe every word that he said is true. I believe he'll do exactly what he said he would do. How I love his precious... It's time now for the Teaching Timeless Truths radio broadcast with Pastor Roger Walton. So get your Bible, a pen, and your Bible study notebook as we journey through the truths of God's Word. And now with today's Timeless Truth, here's Pastor Walton. Hebrews chapter number 4. Hebrews chapter number 4. We were looking at chapter 3 last time, and from verse 7 through chapter 4, verse 13, we actually enter another parenthesis. Now, we dealt with chapter 3, dealing with considering Christ Jesus, and we looked at all those verses considering Him. But also, we didn't get to the second exhortation about the word where there was this uh, drifting from the word that we talked about in chapter 2 verses 1 to 4 the first parentheses Hebrews you know don't drift from the word well starting in chapter 3 verse 7 through chapter 4 verse 13 he deals with doubting the word and so when we look at chapter 3 and we were looking at it we did see where they talked about that they hardened their heart, they did not believe, and that they could not enter into the rest of Canaan because of the fact that they had unbelief. They doubted God. And it's important to understand that there are some spiritual lessons to learn from the Old Testament truths. And for instance, Israel is in bondage. And they are in bondage in Egypt. Okay, that is something that they needed rescued from. God rose up Moses through the Passover, picturing salvation. They were able to leave. They then took off into the wilderness where God never intended them for the stay. They, if they had made the straight line to where they were going, it wouldn't have been a long time. And they could have been at the door of Canaan, ready to go in and do what God said would happen. God said, you will cross over and you will be victorious. We're going to talk about uh, that uh, crossing the Jordan and what it really means in, in just a moment. But because of the spies that went in, 12 of them, 10 of them said, hey, listen, it's what God said it was in the land, but we're grasshoppers in their sights. They're giants in the land. We can't do it. They doubted God's word. They had absolutely no faith in what God said would happen if they would cross over. And because of that, they then had to journey in the wilderness for 40 years until everyone who was 20 years and older died off the scene and then the younger generation would be retaught in Deuteronomy all the things that God said 
and they would go into the promised land. So there is incredible uh, doubt on their part. And it's very clear that God was grieved with that. I mean, he, he, did, he wasn't happy with the fact that they did what they did. And they journeyed and journeyed and journeyed. And so God says, look, do not, absolutely do not enter into this way of thinking. Chapter 3, verse number 7 said, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the day of the provocation, in the day of the temptation, in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my way. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. There it is, an evil heart of unbelief, doubting God's word, not believing in what God said. Now, here's the thing. When we look at this and we come forward, we're still dealing with rest. And I've titled this, Consider His Rest. The, the Sabbath rest was in the past. God created it as he rested the seventh day from his creation. So we have in the past the Sabbath rest, but we also had Israel's submission rest. When they would obey, then they would have rest from their enemies. But when they would disobey, one of the great books that proves that out over and over again is the book of Judges. They get into servitude because of sin. They cry out for a deliverer. God sends the deliverer. They are victorious to that deliverer, and they have rest. And sometimes it's for years. But then they turn around and they get right back into servitude again. And they get there because of sin again. And they call out, my friend, they never could just put it down. Hey, let's just mind God and enter into that submission rest. Submit to the will of God. Well, for you and I, there's a salvation rest. When we got saved, there was a peace that passes all understanding. We had peace with God. God. Aren't you glad for that peace that we have with God? There is a rest. There is a pleasure of being saved. There is a salvation rest. And for the Christian, there is a submission rest. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he shall flee from you. And in the future, there will be a final rest when we enter into the kingdom of God, and things will be totally different. So he told them in chapter 3, you take heed, brethren, so that this doesn't happen to you. But when we get to chapter 4, the first 13 verses, he's still dealing with this doubting God's word that keeps them from entering into the rest. And he gives two let us statements. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, many, many times, look for the little phrase, let us. The first one is found in verse 1. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, 
any of you should seem to come short of it. Listen, you be very, very, very vigilant to see. You need to have a fear, a reverence of God. You need to have a fear of disobeying God. That this promise of entering rest is there for you, and you do not come short of it. When we look at this verse, we see some things that we need to understand. First, it is in the Greek in what we call the aorist tense, which simply means this. Make that a one-time decision, park on it, and don't deviate from it. Let us, therefore, fear. Let us stay in that place of reverence and worship and respect, which that word means, but it also actually means to be afraid. That is when we cannot stand in that because our sin, our submission has been broken and we have no peace with God. That rest has been broken. So he says, let us therefore fear lest a promise being left of us entering into his rest, any of you should come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them. Why? Not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. They didn't believe. They doubted God's word. And they ended up not going into the promised land. And they said, our kids are going to die in the wilderness. And what happened was they died in the wilderness and their children went in. They should have went with God. They should have taken God's uh, activities and said, hey, this is exactly what I'm going to do. Realizing that there would have been a rest. They would have made it and they would have been in good shape. But they did not. For we which have believed do enter into rest, verse 3 says. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of what? Unbelief. Again, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, and he repeats it again, harden not your hearts. Harden not your hearts. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would not he afterward have spoken of another day? There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. All right. Now let's take a look at this in just a little bit more detail. And realize that they have been told, be careful, watch out, make this one-time decision. There's unbelief. You do not want to be unbelieving like that. 
Psalm 95 talks about the fact that he is our God. We are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the provocation. Look how many times he repeats that. The word gospel is the good news. The news of the gospel for us is salvation. The good news they had back then as they were walking towards there is the promised land where they could cross over into God's rest. Crossing over the Jordan River is not to go to heaven, but it's victorious Christian living where we have submitted to the will of God. We've been victorious because we have done the will of God exactly like he said, including things like walk around the wall, do it again the next day and the next day, and then on the seventh day, do it seven times and then shout at the wall. Hey, I don't believe that kind of stuff. I'm not going to do that. That sounds stupid. No, they did it. The wall fell. When they did not ask God what they were to do at AI, they fell. When they got it God's way, they did not fall. Therefore, we must have and need to be encouraged in the fact that you and I need to be submissive to the will of God. And these verses tell us very plainly that there is a confirmation we can rest. There's a written testimony here. And the message is simple. You enter into rest, first of all, through salvation's rest, knowing Christ as Savior. When you know Christ as Savior, he enters your heart. The Holy Spirit takes over. You have peace with God now because of your sin. Now it's submission, submitting to the will of God. Therefore, if you want to have that rest of God, by the way, there's peace in the midst of the storm. There's rest in the midst of the storm. Be careful that you understand that. Now, as they were coming through and they were saying, let us fear, the, the, the Canaan rest for Israel is a picture of the, the kind of rest we find in Christ when we surrender to him. And we see that there is a peace and a calmness like God did when he ceased from his own works. But do not get the idea that that means that we just get saved and we lay back, sit down, and we do nothing. That we just rest in him and everything is okay. That is not what he is saying. That What he is saying is that we are believing him. We are not doubting him. We are obeying him by faith, surrendered to the very will that allows that rest to enter into us. That's where he left off in verse number 10. But look what he says in verse number 11. Let us... Here's the second, let us. Now, there's a third one in this chapter that we will deal with in another message. Let us, therefore, come boldly. But this says, let us labor. The word labor there to means to put effort and to make every effort, to be very diligent about the, uh, the labor, the earnestness. It is a emphasis on the desire and the willingness and the earnest and the eagerness and the diligence to enter into that rest. 
we are to labor. Therefore, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Do not sit there and rest on your laurels and then watch things happen and then get mad at God. You, There's still work to be done. The idea of this is that you are not drifting from the word and doubting the word. Now, how in the world do we have this laboring to enter into his rest? What is it that we are diligent at? What is it that we are laboring at? Verses 12 and 13. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints of the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Okay, we are to labor in the word. We are to get into it. We are to study it. We are to read it. We are to meditate on it. We are to memorize it. We are to heed it and to obey it. We are to practice it. And we are to tell others about it. We must not, like Israel, choose to disbelieve God's word, stay away from it, and then fall in the wilderness of sin. Because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Rest is something that is important. Matthew's gospel, Jesus told him, take my yoke upon you. In other words, you're not going to sleep and just resting on your laurels. No, you're laboring. But what you do is you yoke up with Jesus Christ. You take his yoke upon you and learn of me. You can't do that apart from the word of God and the Holy Spirit. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Ye shall find rest unto your souls. Yoked with Jesus. I mean, if you think about it, he said, my yoke and my burden, it's not like the others that you see. There is the rest of being delivered and saved. There is the Canaan rest of crossing over into victorious Christian living and being submissive to the things of God. The believer's rest comes from the fact that we are being absolutely in the Word of God. We labor in it. Timothy, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That word study carries the same idea, laboring with diligence, giving all diligence, put every single effort into it. Why? That you cut the word of God straight, that you are not being ashamed because of that. The Word of God is the only library that God wrote. All the other books that we read are written by man, but the God-breathed 66 books of the 39 Old Testament and 27 New Testament books comprise God's Word to us. 
Therefore, it is quick. That means it is alive. Absolutely alive. It is powerful. And that has the idea of being it is effectual. It's from where we get our uh, root word ergon, energy. It provides the active, operative energy that we need. It's powerful. And it is sharper than any two-edged sword, no matter where you find it. There is no two-edged sword sharper than the Word of God because it is able to pierce to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. We are not a dichotomy. We are a trichotomy. We have body, soul, and spirit. And the Word of God can do what a doctor cannot do. Pierce, cut, divide through between the soul and the spirit. It literally means a separation. There's a separation between the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow. That word of God is so powerful, active, operating, energizing, effective. It is so sharp. It can do what nothing else can do in the breath of life, in your spirit, in your joints and marrow, the deepest parts of your body, exposing and judging every single thought that you have. It is a discerner. And that has the idea of a judge able to be decided, skilled in judging. That word of God is skilled in judging you. That word of God is able to discern what's in you and is able to say, this is not right. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. In comparing the Word of God to a sword, which he does often, what he's saying is it is able to do that like surgery does. Cut with conviction. You and I need to be convicted. The idea of being convicted through the Holy Spirit is, hey, that's not right. Don't do that. Now, let me say this. Uh, We should live as clean as we can and obey God so that we don't have to be under conviction. But when we do things wrong, aren't you glad for the Holy Spirit's intervention and convicting you? Say, whoa, 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 that's not right. If you stay, and the longer you stay in the Word of God, the more you read it on a daily basis and memorize it and heed it, the more He'll bring it back. David said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee, and He'll bring it back. And when He brings it back, you will say, Oh, I'm not supposed to do that. I'm sorry, Lord. And you get right. But if you keep on and you keep on and you don't heed the conviction, the next step will be chastisement and God will send it and he will punish and he will do so in such a way it will get your attention and you will sure wish that you had not done what you had done, that you had not said what you had said or reacted or whatever it is because God sees our hearts. He says that word of God reveals what God already knows. Verse 13, neither is there any creature that is not manifest, made known in his sight. But all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That word of God not only can do what it does, but it's doing so based on on the fact that everything we do say, think, hear, inwardly, outwardly, omitted, committed, 
those things that are hidden, they're not hidden from him. And so what we see here is that because of that, everything is made known unto God. We have a God that is able to see every bit of the unbelief that's in our hearts and has every right to judge. And he uses the word of God to expose our hearts and the Holy Spirit to convict us, to bring us back to the word of God, back in fellowship with him so that we can be able to live for him. 1 John 1, 9 is the verse that people love to quote. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But I want you to understand the word confess there has everything to do with agreeing with God. The idea of confessing sin is not to tell God something he does not know. All things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That's not the purpose. No. The purpose is that we are in our will saying to God, I mean this from my heart and in my will. I am saying to you, when I said, when I did, when I said no to you, when I did not pick this up, when I knew this was not right, that was sin, Lord. I agree with you. He's not interested in you telling him something he doesn't know. He's interested in you admitting what you did is sin. You see, today we say, oh, it wasn't a big deal. I didn't do anything that way. I mean, in the scheme of life, it's not a major thing. God says, if it's sin, you confess it. You confess it by saying, I agree with you. It is sin and sin cost your son his life and I want my fellowship restored and I don't want to bring a reproach against Christ who died for my sin the word of God is a revealer we must stay in it the Holy Spirit is a revealer and my Savior and God is an enabler to be able to enable you to see clearly and then make that decision and then there's three more verses, but we have no time, and they're powerful verses. As he turns to our great high priest and changes out of the gear of doubting God's word. My friend, please, please, please. This is the second one. Drifting from the word was the first, doubting the word. When we get to chapter 5, verse 11, we're going to see dullness toward the word and then despising the word and then defying the word. Those are the five parentheses. Oh, we don't want to be in that place. Next time, we will look at our great high priest and another let us as we can come boldly to the throne of grace. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Let us fear that we don't fall into those same temptations, trials. Let us labor to enter into your rest, that incredible, submissive salvation rest. And may we love you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. This is Pastor Walton praying that you have an absolutely awesome week. Yes, I believe every word that he said is true. I believe he'll do exactly what he said he would do. How I love his precious word, it thrills me through and through. I believe.
been listening to the Teaching Timeless Truths radio broadcast with Pastor Roger Walton. You can send all correspondence to tttbroadcasts at gmail.com. Tune in again next week for another Timeless Truth.